Welcome to At Any Rate, JP Morgan's global research podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income, currency, and commodity markets today. I'm Ipe Kuzil, a senior strategist with the U.S. interest rate derivative strategy team in JP Morgan. And today I am joined by my colleague, Shuni Ramaswamy, co-head of U.S. rate strategy, to discuss the treasury futures markets and the quarterly roll cycle that is almost upon us. We are recording this on Tuesday, August 15, 2023, and our comments today are based on our recently released publication titled U.S. Bond Futures Rollover Outlook, which is available to institutional clients of J.P. Morgan on our website, J.P. Morgan Markets. So with that, let's get started. Shrini, I know we covered this in our last podcast on the roll cycle last year, but I would like to set the stage a bit for our listeners who may be less familiar with the Treasury futures market and the rolls. Can we please start with that? Uh, sure, Ipek. Um, so the uh, the Treasury futures market allows investors to take long or short exposure to U.S. Treasuries, uh, but in the form of a futures contract. So these are these are contracts that are separated by maturity. There's a contract designed to offer exposure to two-year treasuries, a different contract designed to offer exposure to five-year treasuries, and so on. Um, and these are what we call physically settled contracts. So what that means is that if you have a long position and you do not trade out of it, you will eventually receive delivery of an actual treasury bond. Uh, and conversely, if you're short futures and you don't trade out of it, you will have to eventually make delivery. Um, and what's... Um, uh, perhaps unique about the futures market as opposed to owning bonds outright or, or receiving fixed in a swap uh, is that treasury futures contracts have quarterly fixed uh, expiries. So even if the contract itself gives you exposure to 10 or 25 year treasuries, um, it expires every quarter and you therefore have to sort of roll it forward uh, if the risk is to be maintained. Uh, so if you're long this contract, the way you roll is by selling the so-called front contract, which is the contract that's closest or, or nearing expiry, and buying the back contract or the next quarterly contract. We refer to this process as basically selling the calendar spread. So an, uh, an investor who's currently long the 10-year note September futures contract will need to sell out of the September and buy the Ds, um, and you do that by selling the calendar spread. So investors basically have to look through all of their open positions uh, and either buy or sell calendar spreads right now before, um, you know, bef before expiry. Uh, it seems like a fairly operational task, but every transaction is really a potential source of value in the markets and, and choosing to roll early or roll late, depending on or, or based on a well-informed view of the, of the evolution of the calendar spread, uh, that can be a source of outperformance for portfolio managers. And this is sort of where we come in. Um, we try to help clients take well-thought-out views on these calendar spreads. Our recent publication uh, focuses exactly on this topic. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the drivers of calendar spreads, uh, you know, that's probably worth, uh, you know, discussing in greater detail is, of course, um, short rates or, or Fed, you know, the Fed funds rate and, you know, policy expectations. Um, EPEC, for much of the past year, we've talked about the link between calendar spreads um, and forward repo rates or forward financing rates um, and how that ties into um, Fed hiking expectations. Um, why don't you take a few minutes to explain this link in greater detail? It's a question we get um, you know, from clients you know, about why exactly forward financing rates matter. Just, just outline um, the, the links there. 
Sure. Um, so maybe I would start by noting that futures prices are first and foremost forward prices, which means they are impacted by not only spot prices, but also by carry. And carry, of course, is impacted by financing costs, which are closely linked to the Fed funds rate and near-term expectations for Fed policy. So in particular, when we're talking about the September-December calendar spread, which is the one that we're focusing on now, it turns out that the forward financing rate that is applicable for the period between September and December delivery dates is the one that is most directly relevant. And that's the one that we refer to when we speak of forward financing rate in this instance. So this forward financing rate is affected by expectations for what the Fed might do at the upcoming FOMC meetings. And as a rule of thumb, if this rate were to decline, that would improve the carry on the bonds and it would therefore cheapen forward prices relative to spot prices. But the net effect on this of this on the calendar spread will be to widen it since the back contract, which has um, a longer horizon over which carry is earned, it will cheapen by more than the front contract when forward repo rates fall. Uh, currently, these forward repo rates are priced to some probability of a Fed hike in November. And while our economists are not projecting any more hikes in this hiking cycle, we think that this pricing by markets is actually relatively fair, and we think that the forward repo rates are likely to be stable throughout this whole period. So although, like as you highlighted, like this factor is a very important driver, and we've been talking about it for a year, um, and it's been very volatile in the past year, or actually even in the past couple of months, we think in this cycle, it's likely to remain fairly stable in the coming weeks, and it will probably be not important or not, it will not be as much of an important driver for this quarter's roll cycle. So, Ipek, while while we are on the topic of carry, um, why don't you also discuss the optimal timing of delivery um, and what that might mean for clients? Uh, of course. Uh, so, as we noted, right, that like treasury futures are physically settled, meaning making delivery into the contract is one way to exit a short position. So one of the interesting features of treasury futures contracts is that they allow delivery to occur anytime during the delivery month, which again is September for this current cycle. But also at the moment, carry is currently negative in all the contracts, just because the financing rates are much elevated compared to the coupons on the bonds. So this means that for a long basis investor who owns a deliverable bond, and plans to deliver it into a short futures position, this investor will accrue negative returns by choosing a delayed delivery further into the delivery month. But of course, like there are reasons why one might want to do that. And typically the reason to observe this negative drag is because there is some other embedded option in the long basis position that makes it attractive to hold despite negative carry. So what could that be? So for instance, the CTD, the cheapest to deliver bond, it could switch to a different bond or the wildcard option might be in play. All of which could cause a long basis position to be maintained in the delivery month. But right now, these options are not really worth that much. So early delivery is very likely and it has been a common occurrence in the past few roll cycles. What's different now compared to before is that even the wildcard option in the ultra long 
bond contract is worth much less. And I guess maybe speaking of the wild card, I have to say it is probably one of my favorite names given to an option in the fixed income space. To me, that name just sounds quirky. Uh, yeah. Quirky is certainly the perfect word to describe it. Um, you know, the, the wild card option exists um, because it's it basically a quirk of the design of treasury futures and the design of the delivery process. Uh, to make a long story short, a long basis investor who's long the, the cheapest to deliver bond and short futures against it, if you consider the hedge ratio uh, between the, the bond and the futures contract, well, the hedge ratio that is appropriate can be different from the delivery ratio, right? So the, the amount of bonds that you deliver into the futures contract is one for one in notional terms, but the appropriate hedge ratio can be different from that. So when this investor decides to make delivery, there's basically an excess, uh, usually an excess. It could be a shortfall, but but recently uh, it's mostly an excess. Um, so there is an excess quantity of bonds, uh, which people call the tail, um, and you need to sell the tail and deliver the required amount. Um, but here's where the quirk really comes in, because invoice prices for making delivery are actually determined every day in the delivery month um, at futures closing time, which is 2 p.m. Chicago. Um, but an investor actually has several more hours to decide whether to make delivery on that day or not. So this basically means if the market rallies a lot in the hours after futures close, well, you can sell the tail at a profit and uh, at an idiosyncratic profit and make delivery. Um, and you know, if you think about that, uh, well, the ingredients you need for a valuable wildcard option are basically, you need a large tail so that you can sell that at a, you know, if the market rallies after close, uh, and you need sufficient sort of intraday volatility which improves the odds of the market actually rallying significantly after futures market close. Well, in the past year or so, you've had sort of good conditions for both. Um, you've had high intraday volatility and the, the tail has systematically been relatively large in the ultra long bond contract. So all of that has basically caused the wildcard option to be pretty valuable in recent quarters in the ultra long bond contract. Now, this creates very, very strong uh, an imbalance in incentives between the longs and the shorts. You know, basically shorts will want to wait and go into the delivery month, you know, to take a shot at the wildcard option. Uh, but longs will want to earl, uh, roll, roll early and avoid any risk of suboptimal delivery. So this has pretty much been the case, you know, for many, many quarters now in the ultra-long bond contract. Uh, and usually what that means is the long sort of rush for the exits and the, the calendar spread narrows. But maybe not this time, um, you know, so I think now it's interesting to note that intraday volatility is back down to sort of near historic lows. Um, and it's part of uh, the backdrop of a Fed that is sort of nearing, you know, the, the end game of the hiking cycle and probably is, um, you know, sort of very close to, if not already um, on hold. Um, so intraday volatility is a lot lower. And also this time, the, the tail on the CTD uh, in the ultra long bond contract is actually smaller than it has been. You know, to be sure it's, it's, it's still large, but much smaller than before. And all of that I think means the wildcard option is worth a lot less this time than in previous quarters. So when we think about that in the context of where the calendar spread is trading, we think the calendar spread is basically considerably cheap uh, to fair value. So this is 
the primary reason um, you know, behind our widening view in the ultra-long bond contract calendar spread. Usually, we would have said the existence of a large wildcard should be enough reason for the longs to rush for the exit, and that would cheapen the calendar spread. But this time, we think the wildcard is worth a lot less. Um, the uh, it's it's actually sort of you know the, the the cheapness of the calendar spread basically means it's actually attractive for for shorts to to sort of uh, you know take advantage of that and and roll as well. So we're bullish on the uh, on the ultra long bond contract calendar spread going into first notice day. Um, but this is probably a good segue to talk about um, you know our views across the other um, you know contract sectors. Um, position technicals across the rest of the, uh, you know, sort of treasury futures complex and how how that drives our views. Um, you know, Ipek, uh, do you want to take that? Sure. Uh, so position technicals are and have been a key factor driving the calendar spreads in most sectors. And the reason for this actually traces back to what we discussed when we talked about carry and early delivery. And it's the fact that treasury futures are subject to a delivery process. So many so-called commercial futures accounts will use futures as an instrument for creating interest rate exposure, but they do not want to bother with the delivery process. So what this means is these investors must roll before the first notice day if they want to avoid any probability or potential delivery. On the other hand, though, shorts, so people who are short futures, they are the ones who decide what and when to deliver, and they have a greater ability to wait. So when commercial future accounts are net long by a large enough margin, that tends to pressure the calendar spread narrower. And this time, this is a significant factor in virtually every se sector. And in fact, like this is the dominant reason behind our bearish view on calendar spreads in the two-year, five-year, 10-year, and ultra-10-year node calendar spreads. And actually, just to tie into the wild card, even in the ultra-long bond contract, commercial accounts are actually significantly net long. So normally that would have been enough to push us towards a narrow bias. But as we noted earlier, we think a diminished wildcard option and where the calendar spread is trading at the moment is a powerful enough offsetting consideration so that we're bullish on the calendar despite the fact that technicals are pointing the other way. Well, uh, Ipek, I think uh, we probably covered the most important things pertaining to this role cycle, and this may be a good place for us to end this episode. To our uh, listeners, stay tuned for more episodes of At Me Rate, JP Morgan's global research podcast series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read the JP Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023. JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on August 15th, 2023.